This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Survivor Brothers, your ultimate unofficial podcast from your friends at TV Guide. I'm your Survivor-obsessed host, Fox Van Allen, and joining me here for this very special uh, season 40 uh, preseason episode extravaganza is my good friend uh, Lance Cartelli. Hello, Lance. Hey, Fox. It's an extravaganza. You didn't tell yes, me. Yes, yes. <laughs> surprise. It is. Uh, it is an extravaganza. A surprise. Extravaganza. We've got, we've got a lot, and we got a lot of talk. To, a lot to talk about today. Uh, we're going to start by uh, talking about the last thirty-nine seasons of Survivor. I guess we had a uh, we had a uh, a recap episode last night that kind of showed us. Uh, all the uh, all the great moments from season one to the uh, the most recent. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that, but mainly we're going to focus on uh, uh, season forty winners at war. And we're going to talk about all the winners here, uh, and we're going to do it with uh, pr- probably one of the best people out there to do it with uh, the uh, the Survivor historian back for the second time on the Survivor Brothers, our first ever repeat guest here, Lance. Join me in welcoming Mike Bloom. Hello, Mike. Uh- I did not realize I'm literally a game changer when it comes to <laughs> TV Guide. And you know what? I, I yeah. It was a great, really interesting special last night. Uh, I will push back on the comment that maybe we didn't see all 39. Okay, seasons. there were a few that uh, were a few that were missing. You know, yeah. They, they, listen, you only have a certain amount of time. They talk about this all the time in Survivor, right? You only have a handful of minutes to talk through instead of three days. Uh, you know, 20 years of Survivor. But I feel like they did a good job hitting some of the interesting points. Were there things that were left on the cutting room floor? Of course, oh, yeah. but listen, as a Survivor historian, to see us start off with snakes and rats and Rupert stealing the shoes just warm <laughs> the cockles of my heart. He's a pirate. We didn't get a lot of season 39, though. A little surprising, <laughs> huh? Well, they're... Uh, Maybe not that He's surprising. not coming back yet. So we're going to save that for Winners at War 2. Uh, we'll get a little bit of that. Already a sequel. Season 80 is going to be lit. Um, but yeah, I feel like we did. Uh, well, we didn't get every uh, every season here uh, in the in the recap. We got some uh, we got some good great moments from seasons that we have. We had some Survivor Guatemala moments, which is like it's like the first time I've heard about that season since it aired on TV. Like, well, that's Danny Bellright for you. She yeah. brings in the talk of Survivor Guatemala. You got you got to reference it. She was in the first season with a hidden immunity idol. That's and right. We know how important idols are nowadays. That's right. The uh, Carrie Okaboom idol. Um, and uh, and and then we uh, we got uh, we got a tribute to the fire making challenge. Um, we we're I guess that's that's where it all that's where it all started, right? With uh, Stefan and Bobby John. Uh, in that uh, that really tough season uh, to watch, at least in the uh, the early going there. Um, yeah, and- I mean, I guess in in retrospect, between the fire making challenge and idols, essentially Stephanie helped cause a lot of modern day things on Survivor, right? Because they were all on seasons she was on. Yeah, can we can we blame her for Edge of Extinction too? Uh, is that is that possible? Well, yeah, I mean, considering how much they loved, you know, talking, tracking this, this history of Survivor, mm-hmm. when they put her out there on her own, when she was the last Oolong remaining, 
they loved that idea so much that they built it into Exile Island on the season, which ended up becoming Exile Island, the concept, which probably led to Redemption Island and then led to Edge of Extinction. See, so it, it was sort of like the, the cow that kicked over the lantern here. See, look at that. Look at that. See, that's why we need a survivor historian in the show, like to get that. Usually I'm not a huge fan of historians, but he's obviously, you know, <laughs> a great historian. You know, I don't need a lot of know-it-alls in my life, but this is a good know-it-all to have. Right yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Um, yeah, to, be, to be fair, I'm not, there are other survivor know-it-alls. I just happen to be like, they're officially branded and everything i happen to be writing alongside their sidecar you're the unofficial you know historian we're the unofficial podcast it all makes sense yeah it does all it does all make sense um let's see what else did we get last night we got a, we had a few more uh, i i like that uh we, we kind of went back to some of survivors uh greatest hits there um including like obviously parvati uh, and heroes versus villains playing the idol i thought it was really fun to have her uh kind of like expand on that a little bit and give us the story because I, I i know there's like um, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense, the play that she made once you you hear her explain it. But like in the moment, it's like, OK, well, why isn't she playing it for Russell? Why isn't she playing it for this? Per- why isn't she playing it for herself? And like it's just like really great, like just hearing all that um, um, come out. Um, what was your uh, what was your uh, did you have like a, a, a favorite moment last night my, that was like recapped? Like what's your what's the best of the best here from last night? Oh, I mean, you were talking about, I mean, aside from the moments that were shown, yeah. uh, I think that just from like the talking heads of it all, like you mentioned, I think the Parvati double idol play was interesting. I obviously they're good. It's a piece of survivor media. They're going to mention Eric Reichenbach giving away <laughs> yep. the necklace yep. of versus favorites. Poor guy. Uh, to have Parvati walk it through, though, is interesting yeah. because I mean, if you look at who's involved and she sort of talks about this, that like everyone had their role to play. She probably didn't have the biggest role overall, Mm. but to hear her sort of map things out, I've heard editors in the past talk about that whole storyline as like a heist movie, and it was really described as that, and and it was really exciting. So to sort of get this event that we've sort of seen through the for the umpteenth time through another set of eyes, I think reinvigorated things a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it was. It It was was the original Ocean's Eight, you know. It was pretty great. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's, they only had four. And you, and you can't, it's it's just, it's, I mean, poor guy for having to relive this like over and over and over and over again. We at, love going back to it. At least he's but, a good sport about it now, yeah, you know? Yeah, but it, it is such a, it is such a great moment. And it's such an unlikely moment where so many things really do need to come together there for this absolutely unbelievable event to happen. Um, that we really haven't seen. No one's no one's really been dumb enough to to give up the uh, the immunity like that since. Uh, well, I guess we um, unless you want to count like what's going on with uh, you know our, our fire making challenges where uh, Mr. Underwood gave up uh, gave up immunity to uh, to try to go for the win there. Um, but for the most part, for the most part, that's like uh, that's kind of like a a relic in, in Survivor history. Um, I, me personally, I like that we got a few of the uh, a few of the uh, the more like uh, under the radar moments. Like we had a Francesca sighting. Oh, that was yeah. a lot of fun. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, there, was, there was a whole montage in the beginning between yeah. like uh, the I will always wave your finger and my finger in your face <laughs> chicken fight. Uh, Colby and Jerry, I ain't no Hershey bar. Uh, <laughs> freaking scumbags another guatemala reference like yeah. again that first act of that entire episode just made me pumped beyond belief and then we sort of segue into this really interesting section about overcoming adversity with Sari crossing the balance beam and mm-hmm. donathan diving down to get a bunch of balls maybe i was a little more 
lukewarm on, but I feel mm. like the at least the beginning and end of that retrospective just got my blood pumping like no other. Yeah, I feel like the Donathan moment was great for probably Donathan and his immediate family, but I don't think I got a lot out of that. Um, I, I do, I, I do think it was, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting with the um, the the more recent seasons and the items that they had to uh, to to go and, and it was, uh, I guess the the game changers that one tribal council there uh, where it just got uh, where it's just just a mess where it's a zero zero and then a tie another tie and then uh, Keith is the only person who could go home and then Keith uh, and then we have the um, the the follow-up one where Sari goes home because Sari is probably the only person who can go home at that point because everyone else is protected. That was the most frustrating part of that whole episode for me is just reliving that whole Sari thing again. Yeah it's I feel like survivors passing off like look at this really amazing moment that happened and when I look back at that it's like they had too many damn idols in that game at that point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you are you are certainly not alone in that. And I think a lot of us were like, we don't want to experience the shared trauma of the starting off the Game Changers finale like that. But between that and like, you know, uh, Ben's story about winning the first fire making challenge, mm. I think that what this show chose to embrace in their moments were probably not the most loved elements from fans. But I think sure. to your point, if they're trying to signal sort of the direction that Survivor is going in, especially with season 40, considering what they've already introduced in terms of twists, I guess it's a good introduction to say like, hey, if you want to win Survivor nowadays, you're going to have to at least navigate around all these twists and turns that may come your way. Yep. And, you know, who who knows what uh, additional twist there may be uh, coming along the next fire making challenge, the next edge of extinction. Um, but it's it's a, it's an ever evolving game and it, it keeps changing. And, you know, for for better or for worse, it keeps changing, uh, usually for the better. Um, I feel like uh, I feel like now that we've uh, now that we've got the uh, the the rumor or the information that Edge of Extinction uh, is going to be making more and more appearances in the future, I think uh, maybe it takes a little bit of heat, so to speak, off the fire making challenge. Um, now that that's uh, I, I feel like that was one of those uh, things that uh, fans got really upset about in the beginning, especially when. And it just kind of gets thrown in on you where you're expecting a vote at four and then all of a sudden there's no vote at four and uh, Ben gets really lucky because of that. Um, well, it's kind of a Trump thing, right? Where it's like people hate this one thing, so you distract them with another thing they hate, so they forget about the other thing. There you go. I can't wait to see what twist is going to make America fall in love with Edge of Extinction in the sense that, well, just, at least it's not as, at least Edge of Extinction is not as bad as that. Yeah, maybe not fall in love, but just forget how <laughs> mad you are about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on uh, Edge of Extinction, Mike? I mean, look, I have made my less than love for Edge of Extinction known in the past. Mm. I'm sure I'm not the only one, including on this panel. It, it's something where in the titular season, there were some interesting things to see from it, especially pre-merge, where it felt like we really had the time to sort of sit in it. Uh, mainly to follow Reem through it. I think they really lucked out. But there were some interesting things going on in terms of like editing and cinematography, telling these stories of survival that we really haven't touched upon a lot, especially in modern day Survivor. But as the season developed, uh, I think you start to see the cracks a bit more, both from a show perspective, which is there's only so much time that the show has. Mm -hmm. I think that if you include an entire other element of the game, you know, one of the issues that happened with Edge of Extinction is Chris Underwood was the most WTF winner in Survivor history because there were stretches of the whole season where we didn't see him at all. Right, right. Uh, because he was on Edge of Extinction fishing and bonding with these jurors, which leads to the other side of things, which is I think we saw in its first iteration that Edge of Extinction has, I think, a pretty good advantage built into it of you're going to be entering the game having bonded with 
all the jurors or mm -hmm. nearly all the jurors that are going to be sitting there at the end. And with the way the endgame structure now, and if considering that, you know, Chris was given an idol essentially to make it through one round, you only need to do a couple of little things to find your way there in the final three. That being said, my big hot take for this season is I do not think, unless the person coming back from Edge of Extinction was voted out like a couple rounds before they came back, I do not think the Edge of Extinction returnee is going to win this time. Mm. Okay. I, I, I think that's, uh, I feel like for an Edge of Extinction person to win, like they really everything needs to fall in line. And I think that's really what what you know Chris had going for him when he when he did that, where it was like every single tribal council that he went to after that, he had a phenomenal play going on where he's either playing an idol that he found or got, had like immunity or or tricked someone into playing an idol for him or just made something work and just did it over and over and over again, um, where you know take out one or two of those little pieces and all of a sudden you could say like mm, does he deserve to win? No, because he wasn't playing the game for most of the game i me personally i don't have a giant problem with edge of extinction i, I don't like it in its current form um that where we had you know coming back into the game with an idol coming back in the game super late i would love to see um i mean personally i if you're gonna have some kind of buyback competition i'd like it to end either at the merge or at the mm. jury fate wherever the jury starts i think and and Throw that to Big Brother and Survivor. Yeah. I just don't like yeah. where there's a big part of the end game where someone's not participating and then comes back in at the very end. Yeah. And even if you need a perfect storm, it's just not worth it. Like it just didn't pay off with Chris, even though he had everything go right. I think if you are going to do this, you commit to it even more. You don't yeah. do it on the proper broadcast, but you make it a web series. You do something yeah. where you have another way of seeing these characters, seeing these people on the edge of extinction, but you don't miss any of the gameplay. Like when we talked to Jamal, he said, you missed a lot of this stuff because we were too busy seeing a lot of Island of the Idols. Yeah. Let's focus on the game. And then if you want more of the side stuff, make that a second part, second episode or something you can get online. Yeah. That finished. Yeah. That, yeah. Go ahead. Mike. Well, to that point, I mean, speaking of Island of the Idols, I know that last season they did put like, I think all the accusations of like, oh, we're just going to see Rob and Sandra. They, they put up like a Rob and Sandra specific scene every week mm -hmm. online. And so I'm hoping that's the direction they're going in with Edge of Extinction that, I mean, look, this is going to be an entertaining group of people. I'm sure the Edge of Extinction is going to be fun depending on who's on there. But I agree that like if it's taking away from this is going to be an incredibly complex game between 20 people that know how to play on top of all the advantages that are thrown onto a modern game of survivor on top of the advent of fire tokens. Like there's going to be so much to explain. If you just want to like yada yada, the edge of extinction or stick it in a secret scene online. So if people really want to check it out, sort of like Ponderosa videos, mm -hmm. I think that's sort of the, the optimal way to go about things. If we have to proceed with using the edge of extinction here. Absolutely. I like that. I love it. I love it. We got we got some good ideas going on here. So we need to hire us as consultants. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Someone should be taking notes. Um, so uh, you, you spoke a little bit about uh, about fire tokens there, and I'm curious if you've got any any thoughts on on these. Um, we're we're still uh, what we know about fire tokens is kind of ba basically what we've put together through a bunch of different interviews with Jeff and looking at some preview stuff, and we've seen an advantage menu. And I, I guess the idea is everyone's going to start out with some tokens, and then if you get voted out of the game you got to give your tokens to someone and also maybe if you're in the jungle you'll find some tokens and it's just a bunch of survivor money uh, laying around and uh what do you what do you think about these uh these fire tokens jeff bucks 
Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that it's really tough for me to judge right now. It's mm. one of those survivor twists where when it's laid out, you're like, I don't really understand, or maybe I'm not on board with it, but you really have to wait for it to be implemented. I could understand, you know, this is random to compare Survivor to RuPaul's Drag Race, but RuPaul's <laughs> Drag Race, I don't know if you guys watch the All-Star season. Oh, yes. But they, yeah, they, I mean, they sometimes frustratingly so take the regular format and throw it out the window. And I think the logic that they try to use is like, well, this is supposed to be the best of the best. We want to keep them on their toes. They should be able to, to you know, swim in this format instead of flounder. I wonder if a similar thing's happening here of like, we have 20 of the best players ever. Let's give them this new element to really keep them on their toes. Uh, I think that the most interesting element for me is what Jeff explained as sort of like the supply and demand of it all. And mm -hmm. maybe this unfortunately is a reason why we won't get too much Edge of Extinction in our secret scenes and instead on our TVs, because it looks like essentially Edge of Extinction is going to also serve as like an advantage shop yes. where you, where someone on the Edge of Extinction is going to find an extra, like an extra vote or maybe a super idol. And then basically they'll sort of have a transaction where someone in the game will be like, I'll give you five fire tokens for this extra vote. And then a negotiation happens. I have no idea, you know, how it's going to happen. We know that like negotiation was, was supposed to be a big part of Island of the Idols. It really didn't end up being so. So I have no idea how much wheeling and dealing is actually going to happen, but I'm intrigued by the concept. Again, I'm just trying to figure out how you fit this into a 42 minute show. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by it too. And I think this is kind of like, uh, almost like a throwback to the Survivor Auction or like Survivor Auction yeah. 2.0, um, where it's, I mean, basically the Survivor Auction was broken. Um, it's it's been on there enough times that people figured out how to game it, um, and you, you you wait for the advantage. You bid all your money on the advantage. If there are letters from home, you'll probably get them for a buck. If that's the if that's the thing. The thing that worries me is that like we're gonna have twenty people in the game, uh, and and with the edge of extinction, like that's not gonna change. Like I'm guessing none of these folks are gonna raise that sale and go home. Maybe someone will, but assuming that all twenty people are gonna remain in the game, you gotta keep like these accounting ledgers of like, okay, so Tony's got four, Sarah's got six. If they put them together, but also Amber's got two. So what? what how many does Sophie have? Oh, she just found three more. And you're like trying to like, I don't know. Like I I, I worry is gonna be a little bit too confusing for the viewers. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see how it turns out. Like, I'm, I'm not ready to say it's, it's going to be a disaster, um, but I am, I'm worried because I think it could potentially go a little bit off the rails. My worry with it is that uh, when Probst was, you know, kind of selling the idea and mm -hmm. stuff, he said, I've always wanted to know what will happen in a free market economy of Survivor. <laughs> That doesn't really sell me on it. It's a uh, it's a it's a grand survivor experiment. What if there was an economy on this car in this island? As much as I love the free market, I don't need to know about the free market economy of Survivor. We're gonna we're gonna find out. So I got a I got a question for both of you. Then um, of these little twists that they're adding and stuff, what do you think fans will hate more, Edge of Extinction <laughs> or the fire tokens? Ooh, it's a good question because I feel like the fire tokens are going to to fox's point i think make like the day-to-day -day, like the episode by episode of survivor a little more confusing mm -hmm. uh, so i guess it, it's it's uh more frustrating in the micro sense but edge of extinction might be more frustrating in the macro sense of like oh yeah someone has to come back here and like go through all this stuff so i guess it really depends on the way you're you're looking at the season but yeah to fox's point i feel like they're you know they started using the lower third of the screen to like list off advantages but i feel like it's just gonna get filled to the brim now with like advantages the number of tokens that they have you know the season that they won i feel like we're gonna get like one of those side panels if you watch sports and like with gambling now yeah, exactly. it shows you everything like that you're gonna start getting that now which is gonna be 
I mean, that's just an information overloads, which is what you guys are pretty much pointing at. But hey, Survivor super fans do we do love our stats. We do love knowing how many votes got canceled at what tribal council, and you know, maybe it's all going to work out. Uh, but I think you're, uh, you know, to answer your question, um, I think fans are going to be much more upset about the uh, edge of extinction, it, just because of the way that it impact. It, it's going to impact the game a lot more based on like who wins, right? Um, especially if someone who comes back is going to wind yeah. up winning. Yeah. If we get a Chris um, again, then absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, otherwise, you know, it's just, you know, spending money for tarps and hamburgers and maybe an idol here and there or an extra vote or something. I, I, you know, as you know, as long as that doesn't like come into play at like final four or something because it's mm. a special twist, you know, I, I think people are going to be a little bit more upset about the uh, I am interested in the in the negotiating part, because mm-hmm. seeing a guy like Yule you know, negotiating. I find that really interesting. So I'm different things, different scenarios like that could be something that makes this, you know, a lot better. Well, the question I have is how much negotiating is there going to be? Because I was under the impression that like, if you're on the edge of extinction and say I'm on the edge of extinction, because I'm such a threat, I got voted out first while you're still in the game, Lance, because no one cares about you. So I am going to try to, I'm going to try to give my, uh, sell my idol to you. Right. So I'm going to say, okay, well, I've got, I got this idol I found on the hair for five fire tokens. And I don't think there's like a back and forth where you say, oh, I'll give you four. Like, I think it's like, I send it to five and you're either like, yes or no. And that's it. Yeah. Cause I, like, I it's don't not think there's like any sort of like, yeah, there's, there's no sort of dialogue going on unless they're going to like boat people to the edge of extinction to have conversations with them. You know, I don't think they're doing <laughs> yeah. pen pals at tree mail. Yeah. It's too bad they don't have like give them like a sidekick or something. They can just like yeah, text open each other up an AOL chat window yeah. or something. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, that's not as fun now that I think about it. So I, everyone's just gonna lowball the crap out of everybody. So well, I mean, I, I I get I guess or or maybe you're gonna just go at, like, hey Tyson, I got an idol for you, but it's gonna cost you one thousand four hundred and thirty two tokens. You do the Doctor Evil thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Um, okay. So I think we've uh, I think we've just about uh, run through all all the uh, all the major twists that that we know about so far. So and we've got uh, we've got plenty limited time left. I want to talk about the people, the twenty people who are returning, uh, the returning contestants here. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, you know wh- how how we think they're going to do in the game, uh, why they're in the game in the first place, why why did they win the first time, uh, and maybe uh, Lance, you can help us out by uh, cluing us in as what the uh, the betting odds are for these folks. Yeah, the, who is who is actually uh, who is actually the favorite to win here? The degenerates want to know. Yes, yes, those the, the the people who can put down money on reality TV betting are, are very curious to know. Uh, so we're going to talk about all that right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Okay, so we are back, and we are going to be uh, we're going to dive right into our twenty returning winners for season forty winners at war. Here, um, let's start out with the uh, I believe is the Dakal tribe. It's the Red Tribe, um, mm-hmm. and we've got a a pretty good lineup here. Um, I guess we'll go. Uh, I've got them down here in, in alphabetical order by last name, so may as well just do it like that, right? Uh, so our first person on the Dakal tribe is uh, Tyson Apostle. 
um, who uh, this is going to be his uh, fourth appearance, I believe. He was originally on Token Teens, uh, Heroes versus Villains, uh, Blood versus Water. And I personally am very excited to see Tyson come back. He is probably one of the most fun players, one of the most funny players gotta to play the, Survivor. Gotta be the funniest I've seen. Um, he's like, it's like a special kind of mean funny, but it's still like it's that, that dry work. sense of humor that I love. But it's Survivor in a game where you need to vote people out, so mean funny kind of works. Um, what do you? So what do you think? Uh, what 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 is your uh, take on Tyson here, Mike? Yeah, so Tyson, I mean, speaking towards his personality, yeah. I totally agree. His sense of humor is out of this world. He has incredible confessionals. Uh, you know, he did not have a couple of good times his first couple times yep. out. Uh, he made it to the jury. He's the, I think actually he's the only person in this season who has been both a winner, a jury, and on the pre-jury. Wow. Uh, in Token Sheens, he was blindsided uh, because he had won the first two immunity challenges. Yep. Heroes versus Villains, it was that infamous gaffe that I'm actually surprised. Maybe if there was more time in this special last night, they would have shown it, mm. where he basically ended up voting himself out of the game and keeping uh, Russell Hance in during a double tribal council. Comes back, Blood versus Water, uh, you know, a little bit of humiliation there. He ends up playing, or I guess playing against his then-girlfriend, now-wife. She gets eliminated early, and he also pulls his shoulder. So it's really not a great start for Tyson yeah. at this point. But Tyson... What I'm really excited about with Tyson, and one of the reasons why he is such a good player is because, you know, I'll make a, a comparison here. He really is sort of like a Dr. Will in mm. that he can be sort of like insultingly mocking to your face, but it's done in such a humorous way that everyone's like, oh, Tyson, you're such a cad. And I think it's that sort of like interpersonal skills that allows him to really be deceptive. Mm. Uh, I remember one of the first things he says in Token Chains is like uh, they're talking about having Chilean sea bass. He's like, oh yeah, we got some like olive oil in the jungle, some salt and pepper. And they say, really? He goes, no, I just died <laughs> right to your face. And that's Tyson is that he, because he has such to your point, such like a deadpan and sardonic way of talking about things, you can't tell when he's kidding and when he isn't. So when he does make a plan and he mounted this big plan at the blood versus water merge to essentially overthrow the couples mm -hmm. and proceed forward with these singles, he was able to take a wrecking ball through the game. And, you know, I think he comes in with a lot of experience and I think he comes in with just a great balance of social skills, but strategic chops. Yeah. And this is, he is definitely someone who has improved with each, each time he's played. Um, especially with the the most recent, the blood versus water, um, where you, you you mentioned his injury, and he did a great job really playing up that injury to reduce his threat, um, where people weren't looking at him probably as as intensely as they should have been looking at him, and without that target on his back, he really kind of just runs the game and really only gets into trouble at that, uh, that what is it, the final six, right? Where it's uh, mm -hmm. where it's uh, Sierra who kind of like figures out that she's number four and, and turns on him there. And he's kind of got to get lucky with the rock draw to, uh, to move forward. But that's really the only stumbling block that he has in this game. Um, it seems, uh, you know, he, he gets like a really great alliance going with uh, Gervais and, uh, and Monik, right? Um, mm -hmm. And just, you know, he, he just runs a game. And I, personally, if I'm out there on this Red Tribe, he is someone that I am on the lookout for. Like, he is he is one of my early early targets, if not the first target. I feel like there are a lot of really great first targets on this tribe. That's the problem. But like, like, if you let him go a couple, of, he's just going to... He's just going to work his way into your heart, and he's not on your side. One thing I find really uh, awesome about him and yeah. endearing is he is mean to you. He's got this dry sense of humor. He says all these things, and after 39 days when you don't have food and you don't have a place to sleep, that can wear on people, and it really doesn't. 
yeah. which I find really impressive. And uh, with Sports Insider, they have him as one of the favorites. He's okay. plus seven fifty, so that's the best odds okay. you can get for him. Well, uh, what does that? What and what does that mean for those of us who aren't? Uh, you put down a hundred, you win seven fifty. Okay, all right. So not all the right. best odds, but that he, he is one of the favorites along with a handful of other people. My, uh, my, I have a couple burning questions about him okay. for you guys. What do you got? So we've talked about his personality, his dry sense of humor yeah. a lot. Is that something that he's going to continue to be able to play up and go under the radar this season? You said he's going to be one of the first people, if you were playing, that uh, you would mm-hmm. target. But do you think that endearing you know, style of his, that he can use that to go under the radar and win this thing? What do you think, well, Mike? Something else that something else that should be talked about is, I mean, I think certain people have pregame connections. I know that you know he and Boston Rob are on different tribes, but I know that they're very close. You can assume that Amber's in there as well. Uh, you know, Tyson has been sort of working the pro poker circuit. I believe he has had some interactions with people like Jeremy and Kim mm-hmm. as well. And you know, I think that uh, Tyson talked about this in uh, his interview he did with ET Canada that he personally wants to take the most advantage of the pregame stuff possible, and that mm. includes true in true Tyson fashion to do things like make up lies that Wendell was writing your name down in his journal of people to boot. That Parvati is wasn't going to come out here unless she got paid two hundred thousand dollars, which by the way are what Robin Sander got paid last season. So again, that's Tyson. He's able to use details from outside the game to completely come in and, you know, manipulate those relationships to their betterment. So, you know, I, I think that maybe if Rob had been in the same tribe as him, he would have been a little bit better set off. But I mm. think that he does have some friends here that probably could tip him off if the target is coming his way. That's one of the things I find so interesting about this. I've brought it up a couple of times, you know, this being like the a challenge season in Survivor. And, you know, Tyson really reminds me of a funnier Johnny Bananas, you know? <laughs> yeah. I th- and, and, uh, I'm worried even if you're working with him, it's it's just hard to because he there's so many lines out there yeah. like he you can't I feel like he's the least trustworthy person yeah. on the tribe and that's not like saying like a like that's almost like a compliment here and like he's a very like game motivated person but like I, I just don't know like even if he's working with me how much can I trust this guy yeah that's true uh, my final question will his rivalry with Midwest Bar be his downfall Good question. Well, I'm trying to think who's from the. I guess uh, Denise and Sarah are from the Midwest, right? So maybe they're the ones <laughs> that are gonna, they're going to have. They're going to be the ones butting heads, but otherwise, everyone else sort of avoids the center of the country. I, Danny, I guess, is sort of Midwest as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got. I mean, I, I think Tyson has <laughs> a real shot at this thing, and no. obviously, Sports Insider does too. And that's I I, I think he he does too. Uh, that's and that's one of the reasons I think where you got to get rid of him early. Um, I my my guess is that he is probably one of the early uh, early out people. Um, oh, but if he is not, then he could go very very far in this. No, no, I I think he should be, but I think between challenge strength and just his sociability, mm. uh, I think that like you know I don't want to spoil too much Australian Survivor, but there's a contestant on Australian Survivor who's very Tyson esque, who they just started this most recent All Star season, and I am stunned that this guy not only wasn't the first target on his tribe, but is now in a huge position of power, and I could very much see Tyson doing the same thing yep. here. I wonder if we get that like we're halfway through the season, we're just like wait, this person is still in it, and they have like it all set up. Like how did this happen, kind of thing? Yeah. Well, there you could. Uh, the thing is, you could look at almost any of these 10 people and like how the hell did Wendell make it to the end like shouldn't they got rid- how yeah. did Amber make it to the end he got wrong there's like I feel you could do that with everybody uh, so let's do that with uh, our next person on our list here uh, Sophie Clark 
Uh, Sophie Clark, this is actually uh, one of the few people who's coming, uh, or not one of the few people, one of the people who's coming back for the second time. Uh, she uh, was on South Pacific, uh, where she won that. Um, she was in a uh, very, uh, very odd, uh, five-person, very religious alliance uh, with Coach and and Brandon and a few, few other people. And I feel like uh, I feel like it was a um, a season where it was kind of at the final tribal. It was like. Uh, either it's it's coach who's going to win or maybe it's coach who's going to lose and then Sophie's going to win. Sophie had a really great uh, social game going on. Uh, she beat Ozzy in that final immunity challenge. Uh, what do we think about Sophie here, Mike? What what do you think about her chances here in Winners at War? So Sophie is interesting. I do feel like based on the reception behind their wins, there are some people who come in here who feel like they need something, that they're proving something. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a good amount of these winners who came in, they're like, no, I won the last time out. Like, I, I'm going to just have fun now. You know, there's no pressure. But I feel like Sophie is someone who was not very well regarded for her win at the time. Like mm -hmm. you said, I think due to the editing of the season, it was very heavy on, like, your coach and your Ozzy and your Cochran. So when they lose and Sophie wins instead, you have people saying, like, well, coach deserved to win. Why did Sophie win? But if you look at her game closer, Sophie has probably one of the better minds for the game that I've seen. She's super observational. She knows you know, when to zig, when to zag. You had Albert coming to her at all times being like, okay, let's jump ship on our alliance. It's time to do this. But Sophie knew to stay the course because she knew she was in a good position. She can win challenges. The issue is, it's interesting you bring up her social game, Fox, because mm -hmm. Sophie, and she admitted this as well, she's a bit of a blunt person. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe this is sort of like the double-edged of the Tyson sword a bit, where that didn't exactly endear herself to her trimates. Sure. Actually, the first time she was out there, she was like 21 years old, and they're calling her like a spoiled brat, and you know, being sanctimonious. Sure. And Sophie has acknowledged even years later, so much has changed for her, but she can still say like, I'm a natural introvert, like I'm not exactly one yeah. to reach out and make all these acquaintances so that could be her achilles heel here especially as someone who is probably not as well connected as the other ones but sure. i think if she gets her feet out under her i think that she's going to have a really great mind for what's happening and i wouldn't be surprised if we you know uh saw her nestle a spot in the end game again you both kind of hit on two of my burning questions for sophie who's plus 1500 so actually pretty good odds for her she's in the second tier um, does she have the connections to make alliances and relationships in the game? We kind of touched on that. We're not mm. too sure. Uh, and then will she be targeted just for being too smart, like a Yule or an Adam? You know, mm. she, like you said, she has an eye for this game, and that's something that could really get on people's radar. Yeah. What do you think about that, Mike? It's interesting because I think that, again, the reception we, we gleaned behind Sophie was more so by the stuff she did off the show. Mm. You know, like she, uh, the podcast appearances that she's made, she's proved herself to be really astute. Yeah. I think raised a lot of opinions on her. So I think the question is, how tuned in are these people to that? Because otherwise, if these people are just watching back South Pacific and they see Sophie, she's going to be one of the more underestimated mm -hmm. people. Not to say that, like, she didn't prove her skills in that season, but I think she's proved her smarts much, much more uh, outside of her season. I mean, she also transitioned out of – she was a doctor, or I think she had her doctorate. Now she works in a, in, in a, in a medical company, so she could use that to sort of play down her smarts. Uh, but if people remember the certificate she has up on the wall, that, mm -hmm. that might not help her. Yeah, um, Sophie's Sophie's actually one of my uh, my, my possible winner picks. Like, I, I feel like she is uh, kind of in one of those positions where she's she's not the person that I would want to get out immediately. And I think with so many really big targets here, 
Um, I, I think there, there's almost always going to be someone who looks like a bigger target in front of her, um, despite the fact that she is re- really smart at the game, like you said, like so much, um, and it really is like her, you know, her appearances on RHAP and, you know, just everything that she's done since where, you know, she just comes across like such a strong game player. Uh, and I, I'm sure that's going to be on people's minds. So that's, um, you know, that's that's kind of a little bit of a dub, double-edged sword for her. But... She just kind of feels like somebody who's going to make it to the merge. You don't know yeah. after that, but just feels like that's her destiny for this season. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think people might wind up underestimating her just because there are so many bigger personalities around her that she could do really well here. Um, so she is definitely someone I've, that I've got my eye on. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, let's uh, let's 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 move forward here and talk about someone whom I don't know that we need to talk about her a lot because we have been talking about her all season long in season thirty nine. Uh, the Queen Sandra Diaz Twine, uh, who is on Pearl Islands, Heroes vs Villains, Game Changers. If you want to throw in Island to the Idols, you can. Uh, and now winners she's, at she's war. She's counting it, so yeah. I think for her sake, we should. <laughs> okay. if she, hey, if the queen's counting it, we'll count it. Yeah, it's it's time number time number five for her. She is our only two time winner, so she is going for her. I guess her. I was going to say third million dollar, but she's now going for like four million bucks, right? Like to take home from mm-hmm. Survivor, uh, which is pretty mind blowing. But uh, can a two time winner like Sandra, someone who has I mean, obviously a huge target because of the fact that she's the only two-time winner there. Can she actually win this game again? Like, how far is Sandra going to go, Mike? I mean, the only reason I could see her... First off, I don't think she's getting to the end. Yeah. I think no matter what, A, she has the story where I think if she can honestly just stand up there at the final tribal council and be like, you have to crown me. I'm a two-time winner and I'm here again. And I think, unfortunately, due to like the new endgame circumstances, I don't know if that necessarily plays into Sandra's wheelhouse. I know that she has been learning to make fire a bit better from her time on Island of the Idols. Um, so I don't know if they're going to let her near the endgame. The only reason why I could see her make it to the post-merge portion of the game is Sandra is... She's a WYSIWYG. She's what you see is what you get. Yep. She's, she's someone who, you know, she'll... If she doesn't like you, she'll tell you she doesn't like you. Uh, she's If she wants to join up with you, she says, I'm with you to the end. And she'll most likely stick to that. So I think if people want to do that, they can sort of take advantage of that. I know in reading some interviews, I'm people like, I think Danny and Denise have said that they want to rely on that reliability. Mm-hmm. It's a question of whether that reliability is trumped by the fact that she is just a giant target and probably not the best challenge performer that it's, yeah. it's unfortunately like a, a double target that's easy to get rid of her in the pre-merge yeah i think i think you're right about and, and i think that's that's one of her biggest problems is that she is not a strong person in challenges in the way that you could say that like obviously like a tyson is um vegas not a big believer in her plus mm. 2500 which puts her in the third tier mm. and uh my, my question is you know she's an idol now she has you know, a 50 foot uh, wooden thing of her head. Can her strategy of anybody but me work now? I don't know. Guess we'll yeah, find I mean, out. I, I think she can. I mean, I, I think that even without the statue, she was going to be one of the biggest names yeah, coming in here. And it shows, you know, Dalton Ross has been periodically having the players sort of write down who would they vote, vote out first. And Sandra's definitely up there. Yeah. She surprisingly is not the most targeted person, but like, She's up there just because of of the bounty that's hanging over her head. It's a bit like Richard Hatch back in the OG All-Stars of like, you want to be that person to vote out Sandra Diaz-Twine. And granted, she's been voted out before, but like in an all-winner season, you cannot give her an inch 
because she's going to take a mile and then some. Yeah, I think we could see we could very well see like a game changers kind of situation where she doesn't go home, you know, right away. And, and you know, it's it's not like, a, uh, you know, she, she sticks around for a little bit, but she does not go far. And I think that's probably where we're looking at here. Like, I, I don't know if she's going to be the first boot, but like, I think like look at like the third episode or maybe after a tribe swap or, you know, who, who knows. But like, I, I think she is going to be in trouble relatively early on. And maybe that's one of the good things about Edge of Extinction, where even if she is in trouble early on, we get to see a little bit of Sandra all season long. It's like a little. She could be our reen. Well, I, I don't know. The question is, though, I mean, I know that Sandra wants to prove her toughness, but yep. do you think after 36 days of Island of the Idols, two weeks off, and then 30 plus days on Edge of Extinction, do you think she would want to go through that? Or do you think that might be like the straw that breaks the camel's back for her? I don't know. Two million bucks is a lot of money. It's tough because I. <laughs> Just seeing it, like her as a person, I just don't see her quitting. But yeah. she also, I could also be like, I've won this game twice. I got money. I got my family at home. I'm out of here. So yeah. it could, yeah, could go either way on that. I, one. I think she's, I think she's gonna fight until the very end. I don't, I don't think she. I, I think she would. She's gonna stick around until the till the very end and try to get back into the game. I, I think. Um, okay, um, so let's uh, let's let's keep going, and and with one of our more recent winners here, uh, Wendell Holland uh, from Ghost Island. Um, this is uh, we saw a little bit about about this one uh, last night on our on our clip show uh, because it's one of our uh, one of our historic Survivor moments where he uh, forms an alliance, a very tight alliance, uh, one of the best uh, kind of like a best friends alliance uh, with with Dom, uh, and and they go through the entire game to the final three and then it's a tie at the end and uh and and it's laurel who has to cast that deciding vote on who wins the game um you know they had a really strong alliance going and then into the tribe swap they picked up i believe it was uh, donathan and laurel uh, from the other tribe and really built themselves into a power position uh moving forward uh and then wendell won a fire making competition if you want to if you want to say that that's a a big uh, a big boon to people's games these days um he, he won that so um what do we think about uh, what do we think about wendell's chances here mike it's so interesting because, you know, Wendell is the second most recent winner. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at somebody who you know can master the modern day game, he was able to do that. Like you said, he's, he spent the finale winning two individual immunities, giving away his idol to Laurel, and then winning the fire-making competition. So if you're looking at the end game, you're like, okay, Wendell knows how to do this. But Wendell's really able to benefit from the fact that he was in, I mean, one of the reasons why it was a tie vote in the first place is because people both on and off screen had a difficult time discerning what was his move and what was Dom's. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, I feel like he's almost underestimated Mm. in certain things where he's known as the social guy of the two. So he's less, I think you'd regard him as less likely as the person to cut your throat than someone like Dominic. And I think that gives him a lot of leverage where like, oh, you're friendly. I want to work with you while you build me stuff. But Wendell will be sharpening his knives and maybe taking a bit of a page out of the Dominic book and being like, okay, I'm going to take advantage of that friendship. Yeah, I think I, I think he I think he's got a great shot at this game here. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be one of those early targets. Uh, you know, I feel like he probably kind of goes into the game with uh, one of the smaller targets, especially on his tribe. Um, and, and I think that's really going to work well for him because he is a very capable survivor player. And if 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 no one's paying attention to what he's doing, he's just going to run with it, and he's gonna and he's gonna do great. I, I feel like as long as he can just have enough luck with some of these challenges to stay in the numbers, I, I think he's going to be a real threat here to win. Yeah, I I agree. I think, uh, and so does Vegas. They got him as one of the favorites at plus seven fifty. Makes sense. Uh, my one 
maybe concern about him is is there too much of a recency bias like everyone knows him uh when we talked mm-hmm. to jamal a lot of people said that they wanted to play like him is that just gonna yeah, be I, yeah, on I, everyone's I, I radar will say, when i was out on set he was the person who was mentioned the most in terms of who they wanted to play like because he really walked that perfect line of like being dominant but still a social person mm-hmm. that people liked which is like the ultimate perfect formula in a survivor player uh so i mean it really depends i feel like i don't think he's like a prime target but he might be a second level target you know when you're looking when, especially when you look at the early merge between his athleticism and the other thing that might be working against wendell is i feel like the unintentional downside of the dominance that him and Dominic had is that he never really faced a lot of adversity. Mm. You know, it felt there were a couple times that he was able to work his way out of that were impressive moves, but for the most part, like he dictated who would go home. And I feel like other people are going to have more experience of like, okay, when you're being targeted, what will you do? And one of us necessarily have that. So we'll see how he, uh, he, you know, takes care of that situation. Yeah. And my big question is what's his strategy this time? Will he use the same strategy of teaming up with an, you know, an arrogant loud player, maybe a Tony? I don't know. Or will he go with a completely Mm. different strategy this time? That's one of the things I'm really interested in this season with Wendell. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it going to be very interesting to see him play. Um, and another person who is going to be very interesting to see play is one of the people that I am the most excited about. Um, and I feel like he's probably going to come in with one of the larger targets here. Uh, but Yul Kwan from Cook Islands, another one of these haven't seen him since his original season, uh, folks. Uh, but Yul Kwan, uh, he, he played a, it was a fantastic game. A lot of people kind of like liken him to kind of like a god, the godfather of Survivor. I mean, the Rob father, right? He's kind of like the original, but Yul Kwan, uh, he found, uh, I guess we now know it as the Tyler Perry idol, the super overpowered version of the immunity idol. But uh, Yul found it very early in Cook Islands. That you can Islands, play after the vote. That too. you can play after mm-hmm. you voted out. That's right. Um, he uh, started to kind of ran behind in the numbers, especially because of that mutiny twist where uh, it was at, at Penner and I think it was Candace uh, who jumped ship and put his, put his tribe in such a huge... Uh, just a huge nu- numerical minority, but he got lucky in the fact that one of those people still around was Ozzy, um, and then used that idol at the merge to kind of twist Penner's arm and saying like, "You got to be with us, or you're going home next." Um, and it, it it worked out, and just with this idol here, uh, absolutely, he just was untouchable in this game, uh, and went on to win um, and playing one of one of the more one of the more dominant games in, in Survivor here, especially you know once he once he ran things from the merge. But what do we think about Yul Kwan and his chances of winning Winners at War, Mike? So Yul is first off, I was so happily surprised to see him back. Mm-hmm. You know, he has gone on to have probably like the biggest literal resume after Survivor. He worked uh, for the FCC. He worked for Google. He worked for Facebook. Like he did a couple of hosting jobs on PBS. Like he really made the most of you know his exposure to the spotlight. So I was never sure if he actually wanted to come back. He is probably one of the most intelligent people to ever play the game. Yeah. So if you're looking for somebody who might be able to figure out these mechanics like the fire tokens on the edge of extinction to his benefit, he probably is the most likely candidate. Uh, and I think he, like you said, he was able to na- be the leader of one of the biggest underdog stories in Survivor history. Uh, but even outside of that, he was sort of the figurehead of their alliance and he sort of made the decisions on behalf of them and also was able to broker deals with the opposition as well. One of the reasons why he won is because a guy approached him and said, 
hey, I know you're working with Jonathan Penner. Cut him now and I'll give you my vote. Mm -hmm. And Yule did just that. And he won by that one vote, by that guy's vote. The only downside I would see to Yule is that Yule in Cook Islands wanted to play a very honest and straightforward game. And to mm. that point, he was not the best liar. Now, maybe he's been able to work on his deception skills over the, the past few years. But I wonder, you know, when he gets back into Survivor, will that part of his personality come back out? Because I guarantee that everyone's going to be lying their asses off. And if Yule is not, that's going to put him a bit behind. Yeah. yeah, that's how I feel, too. He was amazing to watch. But watching a season, it's like everyone wanted him to win. It's like all everyone was like pushing him to the end to win. And you're not going to get that this season. Yeah. And I really want to know, since the game has changed so much, how will he change and his gameplay change? He's obviously smart and dangerous, but can he get that target off his back? Because from everything I've heard and everything I've seen, like he's one of the people everyone's so excited and a little intimidated yeah. to come back. So I just feel like if you can't get him, get him out in the beginning, get him out early. Mm. I, I mean, I, I, he seems like someone who would just be like great to work with, um, but like you can't work with him till the end because he's just so strong. Um, like I, I feel like uh, you know con contrast that with Tyson, where like I don't know that I could work with him. You, well, I think I could. Um, I wouldn't want to take either of them to the end. No. But like yeah. I don't, I don't know if I want to take any of the people in the red tribe to the end. But I guess you got to take someone, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is that Yule has really put himself forward as like I. He hopes that all these big deceptive egos are going to clash, and he can just appeal as like the loyal foot soldier, yeah. which actually I feel like is very similar between Yule and Wendell. I feel like they both sort of stake their reputation on loyalty and i think that's going to help them here where yeah. like if there are indeed splits in the tribes and people are trying to round up the troops he can say like hey listen you can't vote me out because i'm gonna work with you here and that could really benefit him but like sophie it could be another thing where they know he's an intelligent guy do you give him any sort of chance to get ammunition going or mm -hmm. is he just too threatening at that point yeah yeah and it's interesting if he's the first one you know, you vote out or one of the first people, he gets a real shot at one of those advantages and he can come back from Edge of Extinction too. Yeah. What's his, uh, what's the, what's, what are the odds on him? He's plus 750, so he's one of the favorites. Oh, so he's one of the favorites. Yep. Okay. That, that does make some sense there. Um, I, I, like I said, like I could see him, I could see him going very far here. Um, you know, especially if he's playing that kind of loyal game here in a season where maybe not a lot of people are going to be playing that game. We'll see. Um, so the next person uh, on the list is, uh, we were you're talking a little bit about Dalton Ross and who, who people are targeting, like going into the game. And here is one of the bigger targets on the Red Tribe. Uh, Sarah Lucina, um, whom we remember uh, was a, uh, an, started out in Kagiyan, um, had that big, uh, her, her big moment there was really at the merge where she was working with Tony, um, with their little cop uh, cop alliance, um, and then uh, kind of Tony turned on her, and she turned on Tony, and then Cass turned on her, and then she she got kicked she got kicked out of the game by I guess uh, playing her maybe playing the swing vote role a little bit too strongly, uh, but then when she came back um, in her returning season. Um, she just uh, she just kicked ass. Uh, she she did she just did fantastic. I think it was partially because she had a smaller target going in. Not a lot of people were super worried about her, but they should have been uh, because she played really strongly. Um, and and she just kind of uh, she, she she really did great. Uh, what do we think, uh, Mike, about Sarah? Uh, Sarah's chances here and and winners at war. 
I mean, I completely agree with you that Sarah played probably one of the best winning games I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It was a crazy sequence in the post-merge where I'm pretty sure at nearly every single vote, Sarah was the swing. Yeah. She had this innate ability to just foster trust in literally everybody that like he'll vote. She'll vote against them in one vote and then come to them and be like, okay, we'll bring you in on this next plan. And then she'll flip over to the other side and nobody caught on to that. But that's the problem is that now everybody knows about yeah. that. And, yeah. you know, Sarah herself has said, like, I went from a cop to a criminal. And now I'm like a criminal on probation. I'm trying to <laughs> earn my way back to the good graces. But nobody's going to trust her out there no. because everyone knows how much she was able to weaponize social benefits for her strategic acumen. And you have to imagine that she's going to end up doing or try to do the same thing again. And I, I just think nobody feels like they would have you know a conversation with her and really feel like she's not going to use that to weaponize something against them later on that was my one burning question is for how she's played the game so hard and everything how can she get anybody to trust her i, mm. I initially thought she was a dark horse to win she's plus five thousand, so she is in Oof. the bottom tier of what vegas thinks that is a long but shot it, that's you know pays off real well yeah. um but yeah i just don't see how she can get anybody to trust her after uh her two times plan yeah, she is. She is one of my uh, first boots here, uh, for for sure. Um, you know, not not maybe not necessarily the person I would choose to get rid of first, but I feel like if you're playing the odds here, like she kind of stands out. Like maybe maybe Amber as well, who we're going to talk about in a moment. But uh, she she just she just really stands out as such a huge target here um, that I think she's going to have a lot of trouble in in this in this game here. Um, so, uh, so yeah, let's, let's, let's talk, uh, talking about her already. Let's talk about her. Amber, Amber Mariano, uh, who we, uh, first got in Australian Outback, but it wasn't until Survivor All-Stars where she won. Um, and maybe you could also say that it was because Rob lost. Um, it was, it was kind of like one of those seasons where they were tied together at the hip so closely. In fact, that they got married and engaged afterwards. Definitely tied at the hip. <laughs> um, but, uh, but Amber's game in All-Stars was a little bit rocky. Uh, she got absolutely uh, if you want to talk about getting swap screwed amber got absolutely mm -hmm. swap screwed because she was the only person in that season who had swap tribes uh when that swap happened and she wound up just in a bad situation where she didn't have power and rob kind of played lex there where we saw it last night you know where you know i i said i'd save you if i could but i cannot um and that really i mean it's he had such great relationships with these people going into the season. And then once he reached the end, it was just like, you got to vote for Amber because Amber just looks a lot better than Rob right now. Um, so um, what do we think about uh, what do we think about Amber? Uh, Amber's chances of winning this game her first time back in Survivor in like 15 years. Yeah, I mean, so she has uh, tied for the longest, you know, break in between seasons, I think. Were she not married to Rob, she would be in a... I, well, I think from a knowledge perspective, she'd be in a worse situation, right? Because mm. I think that luckily with Rob playing more modern seasons, she's more up to date with like what an idol is. I'm sure in the two weeks that Rob came back from season 39, he you know made her aware of all the new twists and advantages that come into play. So she's not exactly walking in as someone completely new, but you have to imagine that there's going to be action... Any action that's made for or against her is going to depend on Boston Rock. Yeah. You know, even though they're on separate tribes, it's sort of like a weird blood versus water situation, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, okay, we know that Rob's on the other side. Uh, it could be a situation where 
they vote off Rob early, okay, great, so now Amber gets a lot less threatening all of a sudden because she doesn't have a partner automatically in the game. It could be something where they say, let's get rid of Amber first to handicap Rob, and then we'll send them both to the edge of extinction. So it really could go either way for Amber. I think she does have, you know, some social acumen. Uh, you know, she said she's friendly and talkative. She actually is able to also pick really good partners. Let's remember that in her first season, uh, it was her and Jerry basically for a while there. So I think that she has some good skills to her, but I think it's just going to be tough for anyone to judge her as a player and a possible ally without thinking about Rob there. Yeah, and it's it's you like you said, it's going to be really almost impossible to separate their game. Um, I, I think your your second scenario there uh, is probably the scenario I would go with if I was on this tribe. Uh, I would be much more interested in getting rid of Amber first than I would be getting rid of Rob first, uh, just because I think Rob has a gigantic target on his back no matter what. Uh, Amber doesn't really have a big target on her back once Rob is gone, and I think that's the reason why you really do want to get rid of her first. That um, leads to my burning question yeah. for Amber. Plus 2,500, so the penultimate tier. Okay. Um, could she fly under the radar if Rob is voted out early, or because of Edge of Extinction, does that just kill her game no matter what? Yeah, see, that's the problem is, like, I kind of feel like it sort of happened on Blood vs. Water with Redemption Island, right? Of, like, one of the reasons why Rachel was voted out was because they thought that Tyson was going to switch with her. And maybe if the Redemption Island hadn't existed, they might not have made that big swing. But to your point, like, they'll say, oh, Rob has, even though he's voted out, he still has a pretty good chance of coming back into exactly. the game. So let's not, you know... Uh, stay safe with her we might as well sort of finish what we started no half measures and make sure they're both there so at most only one of them's coming back nice breaking bad reference too <laughs> yeah she is uh, she is one of those people who is on my radar as, as a possible first boot here um i think it's more likely sarah but she you know right there right there in the hunt for for going home early um an, another person who might be uh who might have uh, an interesting target on their back i'm not sure uh, we'll we'll discuss it but uh kim spradlin or kim spradlin wolf i guess now um from one world this is her second uh, season now um she played in if you remember one world um which i know a lot of people have tried to forget it um but it was a gender divided season uh she uh, obviously was part of a women's alliance uh because that was her tribe um but even after after a swap happened, she was able to make some uh, inroads with some of the guys uh, and use those guys to get rid of the other guys. And then there were no guys left. And uh, she she really uh, was kind of like a, almost like a part of everybody's plan there to get to the end where she was just such a kind of like a, a, a linchpin player in that game. Um, but the I guess the, the question is, uh, given how dominant of a game she played in One World, and a lot of people say that she's, she's played one of the best games in Survivor as far as winners go, uh, what does her target look like here in uh, Winners at War, Mike? It's tough because I think on paper, uh, I think, you know, she would be a big target because yeah. I personally think she played like one of the single best games mm -hmm. ever because even more so than people like Boston Rob or Sarah, she did it on her first time out. And yes, the competition level may not have been on the, on the same pantheon as some of those other people, <laughs> but she different. was able to take... She was able to take advantage of the situation. I think she also had uh, no competition at the end because she was able to size up who the threats were and get rid of them. You know, she really had her eyes on people like Troy, Zan, and Jay and then swiftly cut their knees out from under them. For some reason, what I'm imagining for Kim is despite the threat level on her, she's going to come in and she's going to be her charming self. and Everyone's going to fall in love with her like they did on One World. And I can imagine that threat level is going to disappear. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, that she is like a, a big performer. 
I mean, it's I it's it's not coincidental that literally everybody wanted to go to the end with Kim, and that at the final six, Kim was essentially dictating who she sat at the end with. She is just that good and that personable, and I would be gobsmacked if the exact same initial effect did not happen out here in season forty. Yeah, I, I see that happen. I think Vegas does too. She's installed as one of the favorites at yeah. plus seven fifty. Uh, my question for her is. Is she going to use the same strategy this time around? Will it work? Can you go under the radar pre-merge and then just dominate post-merge? I don't know mm. if that's going to work for her. But like uh, you guys both said, she's so charming that she might be able to alter mm. strategy a little bit. Well, I will say that the caliber of players on this season are a lot higher than uh-huh. the caliber of season, uh, players that that's, she played against on One World. For that's sure. why the question is, will that strategy work? For sure. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it, it, when it comes to survivor strategy, it's also it's a bit like you know that scene with the poison wine from the Princess Bride, right? Like you eventually confuse yourself with like, but you, I have to think what you think that I think that you think that I think, and so I feel like eventually it all sort of falls apart. I could see a certain scenario where they're like, wait, Kim's so under the radar that we can't let her get to the end again. But I could also see a situation where you know she's able to really cement herself in a pretty good position and make her way to the end there being underestimated once again there's just so much other stuff going on in terms of targets and Kim would also say like hey look I've only played once uh you know look at these people like Boston Rob and Sandra they've had so many times out they've had so many days under their belts like this is just my second time out I'm still learning as we go and I think another great thing about Kim is if you're looking for her to like make a bad move and act out of turn, she is extraordinarily patient, Hmm. Uh, even more so after becoming a mother of three in between her (laughs) two appearances on the show. And so I can imagine her applying those patient skills where, you know, she, we're going to talk about something in a little bit who I think is the master of timing on Survivor. And I think Kim (coughs) could do that as well. Interesting. Yeah, I'm very excited to see her play again. Like it's 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 been a while and I'm very excited to see her play against some some real competition here. And I th- I think you're right. She has got a lot of a lot of upside here. Um and and will probably go a lot farther um than they than people should probably let her go. Um so we've got one person left on this red tribe to talk about and it's another one of our recent winners. It is Nick Wilson uh from David versus Goliath. Uh one a, a fantastic season first of all. Um uh, Nick was uh one of those Davids, uh one of the uh the so-called underdogs, right? Um, but he made a really strong alliance uh, at the tribe swap. Um, and then once he reached, uh, reached that merge, um, it was, you know, famously the, uh, the, the Davids were behind in the numbers real bad. And through the use of some advantages, uh, including one that Nick found, uh, they were able to turn the numbers around. And then the moment they turned the numbers around, the, the Davids fell completely and totally apart, um, where uh, Nick was the, uh, the last David standing um, and, uh, and, and wound up uh, and winning in the end over uh, Mike White uh, and, and Angelina. Um, Mike, one of, one of, probably one of the better, um, better uh, people to have never won Survivor. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those where a lot of people say, like, you know, Mike, Mike, Mike played such a great game. Maybe Mike should have won. Uh, but what do we think about Nick uh, here? What, what do we think about Nick Wilson's chances in Winners at War, Mike? I mean, so he is the most recent winner. Yeah. And I think that, you know, talking about Wendell, he's very adept at the modern game. I think he's an excellent modern survivor player. And he talked about this at the final tribal council where he was able to leverage social relationships, strategic maneuvers, advantages, idols, challenge wins. His game was extremely multifaceted. Yeah. So I think 
he can really take anything that the game throws his way. And, you know, he's still, I think that some people might regard Dave versus Goliath as not necessarily Nick's season. There were so many great cast members and characters in there that he might be a bit underestimated. It's not like Ghost Island where it really was like the Dom and Wendell show. Right. But there's also a component that's a bit like the Sarah Lucia where Nick was really able to endear himself to others by really playing up this like, aw shucks, Kentucky lawyer, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on, what's an idol persona. That's out the window now. Yeah. Everyone knows what he's capable of, so he can't do that again. I don't know exactly what he's going to do now. I think he can still sort of play up that aspect a little bit, but not nearly as well as he was able to do in David versus Goliath. So you nailed my question. Will he be able to come up with a new strategy, a new like way to play his game now that he's burned that plucky small town guy image yeah and then one thing that really got on my radar with his season is when things didn't go his way he got really frustrated really angry Mm. and i just don't know if he's going to be able to handle the twists and turns with you know a step up in competition yeah yeah i think the strategy kind of goes out the window a little bit but i think the likability is still there for the most part like he is like he does seem like uh you know and very very likable in a way that some of these people aren't um we're just like just a kind of cool guy you just want to be friends with him yeah yeah yeah. so that could really work in his advantage and i could very much see i know that he and you are both trying to pursue this strategy of like i'll let all the egos fight and then i'll just sort of put myself out there as a free agent I feel like between the two, I could see Nick pulling that off much better than Yule because, again, Nick does not really have this perception of like being this hyper-intelligent, strategic guy, even though he certainly has the acumen. I could very easily see one of these bigger players taking Nick under their wing, quote-unquote, and mm. Nick like getting a good amount into the game just by being that loyal number for somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. What are the uh, What are the odds on Nick here? Nick is not one of the favorites. He's plus five thousand, so he's oh. uh, he's in the bottom tier. That might be a, That might be. I, I kind of like that. Like though. that. I like that's. A, I mean, it's a. It's Throw a ten long bucks shot on there when five hundred. Right. That's that's not bad. That's not bad. Um, I think he's got a little bit of a better shot than that. That number seems to suggest anyway. Um, not not necessarily one of my favorites to win, but I I might take that bet. It's just that's a good bet. Yeah, you know, it's good value. Bad. It's good value. That's right. I'm always on the lookout for good values. I know you are. Yep. Costco, baby. <laughs> that's right. Love it. Kirkland brand all the way. Okay. Sponsor us. <laughs> all right. So we are, <laughs> can you believe we are halfway done? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, well, we, we, I think we forgot one on, on DeCaul. I oh, did, one. oh who, do, who do we forget? Tony. Tony! Oh my goodness, we did! Oh my goodness, I got yes. How can we you did, forget we did Tony? Skip, we did skip right over him, and I got I got him right before Nick. I, he was hiding in his spy shack. He in was the, in your list. Well, he this was why we actually, have the historian yeah. on the historian. Yes, knows. yes, he was actually hiding right under the sheet of paper that I've got on top of the paper that I'm well, trying to read. Stop using paper. Well, that's that. Yeah, 2020, right? Get get with the times. Okay, let's talk about Tony. Oh my goodness, uh, from Kagiyan. Uh, fr- from Game Changers as well. Obviously, Kageon is the uh, the season he went he went ahead and won. Um, but there is it, there is no survivor player quite like Tony. Uh, Tony is loud. Tony is aggressive. Tony is everything you should not be if you are a survivor player. And yet somehow Tony makes it all work. And he just he absolutely dominated that season in such an entertaining way, um, where you know there were there were plenty of moments where he was a target and he had the right tools to not be a target. Um, we saw last night where he's got an idol and he convinces everybody he can play it at four. You know how how much they believe him, who knows? But like he's safe at four, um, and he goes on to win this game uh, with a little help from Tyler Perry, but still, um, but. 
then again, on Game Changers, when he did come back, he was a huge initial target, um, kind of playing that same loud spy shack kind of game. Um, what, does, does Tony learn anything from Game Changers, Mike? What is what do you what is uh, Tony 3.0 going to be like here? Well, so Tony claims that Tony 3.0 is going to be a lot like Tony 1.0. Okay. Uh, he said that one of the reasons why he lost in Game Changers is because he was still coming up with all these crazy scenarios that he wanted to do as soon as he hit the beach instead of, you know, getting to know people and trying to adapt. So I'm very excited to hear that. I personally think that maybe on paper you would think Tony's dead in the water and maybe the bets will reflect that. But I actually think Tony might have sort of like a black horse chance mm. of or dark horse chance of like at least making it far. I don't know if they'll let him near the end, but if he really is sticking to like his initial game of adaptability of like, OK, let me just, you know, not plan things. Let me see whatever happens uh, comes my way. Let me field that pitch. He did a great job with that in his first season as bombastic as it may have been. And I hope if he is able to bring that toolkit out once again, it could work in his favor here, especially in a game that is so full of all these different variables to it. Okay. All right. I mean, I very much. Uh, what do you What do you think, Lance? What are the uh, What are the odds on Tony here? So uh, the odds agree. He's plus fifteen hundred. He's in that second tier, so he okay. definitely has a shot at winning this thing. One of my questions is, can Tony actually win? And who's going to use him as their meat shield? Like, I feel like he's the perfect guy that you just put in front of you. He's loud. He's going to okay. look for idols. He's going to look for everything. He's going to make people mad. Mm-hmm. That you just undercover team up with him and ride that as long as he can well he's got a lot of he's got a lot of relationships uh, with some of the people on his tribe already right he's he's played with sandra that did not go well <laughs> yeah. uh, he played, with, he uh, played sarah. with sarah that did not go that well either not go well either that's right um so he's a but he's at least got uh, some relationships he's the devil you know right <laughs> so maybe maybe that's gonna work for him um, you know, I, I, like, I, I don't think I would want to give Tony too much uh, leeway here. I would probably want him out fairly early. Um, I don't know that you need to take him out first. I think he might be, uh, you know, beneficial to having some challenges here and there. But like he is uh, he is not the he's not the, the kind of uh, loyal guy that you want to you want to no. take to the end there. No. I, I don't think um, I would I would say, you know, he would probably be the first person perfect per- first person to vote out if only to like have him be the foreman of the edge of extinction because you know he's going to be the one to like take advantage of like the wheeling and dealing and oh, negotiating yeah. with the fire tokens right yep the new ream tony ream 2.0 is tony it's great we're naming everyone the new ream <laughs> all right okay now we have officially reached the halfway point okay so we're going to talk about the uh the, the blue tribe next this sele sele tribe just say I, blue the blue tribe yeah it's it's like how i bungled the Lero name last Maybe last season solid. over and over again could be could be um so let's get into this uh this blue tribe and we're going to do that right after this it only takes two minutes of sheer horror a new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Okay, so we are back, and we are covering the uh, the other tribe here on Survivor 40, Winners at War. Um, and the first person on this blue tribe that we want to talk about is one of my, another uh, another favorite of mine, um, from San, well, San Juan del Sur, uh, one of our Blood versus Water seasons. It's Natalie Anderson. 
Uh, Natalie Anderson, who actually got her start on Amazing Race uh, with her uh, with her twin. Uh, they did not do a lot of twinning on San Juan del Sur because uh, Natalie lost her twin uh, in, the, in on day three, I believe it was. Um, but she did uh, she did get very lucky at the merge where there was a um, there there was a, a moment where it looked like uh, uh, John and, and Jacqueline were going to go one way and then had a couple extra days to think about it, went the other, and her alliance came out on top. Uh, obviously, was working with uh, with Jeremy, uh, who is on her tribe. Um, and uh, made it to the end with some really, really baller plays there. She had a great uh, immunity idol play and one of the more entertaining plays at that. Um, so what do we think about Natalie here, uh, Mike? Yeah. So to start, I completely agree with you. I think she played one of the best end games yeah. I've ever seen mm-hmm. where after Jeremy left, she had her eyes dead set on getting out John Mish. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned before, she's the master of timing. She knew like, okay, I can't do that right now, especially because he has an idol. So, you know, she was she got in under his wing. She convinced him to play his first idol. She was able to manipulate the votes to keep Keith in, knowing that he was going to be a loyal vote. So then eventually she was able to strike, get her biggest target out at final six, and then at final five, play the idol on his girlfriend mm-hmm. and get rid of one of her closest allies. And I think she just had a master hold over the game. And she is such... A great strategic force uh, so I mean I think she brings a lot of great stuff to this season not only does she have that brain but from a Braum perspective she is a CrossFit coach mm-hmm. and you can imagine that you'd want to keep her around for a lot of those physically based challenges the only downside that I have is that she was one of the people so the contestants were uh, separated into a men group and a women group and they were sequestered like that so the mm-hmm. men didn't know who, which females were competing and vice versa and I think that convinced Natalie that it was going to be men versus women. And I wonder mm. if she had built in her head, like, how she was going to work in a tribe full of women. And I wonder, once she finds out that's not going to be the case, do you think it would be a thing where, like, she tries to rally the girls again, and that maybe gets the guys a bit, you know, uh, leery of her, and she mm. ends up going early because of it? That's the only reason why I could see Natalie stumbling here, because I think she has so much good stuff coming for her yeah that's and that's like the most dangerous move on cbs reality tv right trying to do something with yeah, an all-women's totally. alliance yeah. um so, what do you got, so uh vegas has yeah. her at plus 2500 in that third tier to me i think she's one of the best bets on the board yeah and my question is, is she just the dark horse to win this entire thing like when i look at the tribes and stuff i could just see her winning this I mean, I could see, I could see her winning too. I don't think I'd put her at the top of my list as as who would win, but I, yeah, I, I wouldn't for put her sure. at the top. But like value wise, best bet, and of the people in like the the final tier and the second and the penultimate tier, I'd probably put her right up there. Yeah, I like her a lot. Um, I mean, I, I I like I personally like her personality a lot. Like, I think I could uh, you know just have a great time with her out there, and you know she like I said she's she's shown herself to be a very capable player making huge plays making very smart plays and making them at the right time and uh, you know i i I think she is uh, probably one of the people who doesn't go into the game with a gigantic target on her back and you know as long as she just goes a few uh, gets a few votes under her belt and makes those relationships uh, i think she could do very well here she just needs to keep those numbers yeah, and I think she's also probably one of the bigger challenge performers, especially individually, mm. knowing that a lot of these bigger merges call for a lot more individual challenges that are essentially like stand in one place and hold something. Yeah. I think her physicality gives her a lot of great endurance. And so I think she could definitely become like a beast in these challenges they let her get to the merge. And she's one of those people that, 
you don't really question like do they still have the athleticism do they still have you know the physicality and everything she obviously still has it especially as a uh, crossfit coach yeah yeah um we saw a couple couple natalie moments last night as well um as and a bonus keith uh, keith nail moment yeah uh, stick to the plan uh, okay um uh, our next person uh here on the blue tribe is uh, another uh another um long long time since she played uh it's danny boatwright from survivor guatemala um, now I don't know how many people can go back and recall exactly what happened in Survivor Guatemala, but she she for sure played a, a very under the radar game um, where uh, you know she was kind of in a minority um, going into this uh, going into the the merge, but she did a great job working with the power players uh, on the uh, other side, including returning uh, contestant Stephanie, um, and you know won that final three immunity. And you know, famously uh, beat Stephanie in in the end, um, where it's it's another one of those questions. You know, did Danny win? Did Stephanie lose? Like what happened there? But um, like I said, this is someone who we haven't seen again in well over a decade. What do we think about Danny Boatwright and her chances to win Winners at War, Mike? I feel very good about Danny mm. actually, and I know that she's probably one of the more again forgotten winners because uh, it was purposely her strategy. She says, "I didn't just go under the radar; I beat the radar." Yeah. Uh, she really tried to just assimilate herself as like the cool, chill chick that everyone wants to hang out with. To the point where, when she got to the merge and she was down in the numbers, she saw who was in charge and she immediately endeared herself to them, and it worked. Mm-hmm. When it got to a certain point, when it was just her and that entire alliance, those heads of the alliance said, well, we like Danny more than we like these people, so let's work with her. And that got her all the way to the end. And uh, again, as we were talking about with the Wendell, the fact that she was able to work her way out of a tight situation using a combination of immunity wins and social bonds, I think, really spells well for her success. You know, she is someone who has a taller frame as well, and mm-hmm. she is a naturally athletic person. And so I, I think that she's just a very reliable person you know I, I can't really see many reasons to get rid of her to be quite honest yeah yeah I, and she goes into this game with I, I feel like probably one of the smallest targets you know certainly on her tribe maybe in the entire game uh, and that's gonna I, I feel like that's gonna work so well to her benefit um, you know I, I feel like if anybody can make something work with that she can um, and you know how how I mean people remember how Tony played and people remember how Nick played and I mean to be fair like I had to go back and watch some Survivor Guatemala clips just to like refresh myself on Danny because it has been so long and like we've revisited Guatemala so infrequently that like I, but I think that's such a good like that's great for her though I yeah I was thinking the same thing that that's an advantage like yeah. we talked about recency bias with like Wendell and other players mm-hmm. there is no recency bias with her you got to you know, do your work to find out how she plays and stuff. And my question is, will her, you know, stealthy stealth bomber style work almost 30 seasons later? So, which is uh, a big thing uh, that I consider for her. And then um, she's in the second tier, according to Vegas, plus 1500. So she, you know, Vegas uh, believes in her. Okay. That's not bad. I feel like that's, uh, that's about right. That's about right. Maybe not. To answer your burning question, I mean, I think look no further than the guy who won last season. I wouldn't say that Tommy was completely under the radar, but I think he was someone who greatly benefited from, like, just being really friendly with people Mm -hmm. to the point where they wanted to give him information. That sort of happened with Danny in her season as well, and I feel like that's, even in a very, like, advantage and strategy-heavy modern era of Survivor, that is still probably one of the most undervalued skills, is just the ability to get people to trust you and work with you. And I think Danny has that in spades. Mm. Okay. 
Um, sounds good. So let's uh, let's talk about our next person here on the Blue Tribe. Uh, one of our uh, our, our bigger uh, bigger uh, personalities here. Uh, we got Jeremy Collins uh, from San Juan del Sur. Um, also from Game Changers, we were talking a little bit about him with uh, when we were talking about Natalie Anderson, but uh, his his best work surely comes in in Game Changers here, um, where he uh, you know he works with Stephen Fishback, uh, you know he plays he plays idols he's he's got great social bonds with the people in the game, um, and he's kind of like that that alpha male person that you theoretically want to get rid of like at the merge or before the merge or like the next vote after the merge and which is what happened to him in San Juan del Sur but in Game Changers he just he gets in a great alliance and he just rolls right to the end um can Jeremy do it again uh what do we think Mike is Jeremy what are Jeremy's odds at winner of the war so Jeremy said, I want to repeat essentially what I did last time. And it's not a bad strategy. Sure. Uh, basically just sort of putting people in front of yourself. So you're never going to be the first person targeted and just being like a generally chummy guy to everyone. I think Jeremy is a very easy person to get along with. I think there are people out there that want to work with Jeremy that get along with Jeremy. So I think he is in a very good spot. I And I think the fact that we're talking about recency bias yes he did win in the 30s but that was you know almost five years ago at this point i feel like he is probably one of the less regarded recent winners uh he also could we'll talk about this with a with a later winner he could also sort of shrug off the reception of like well well you know i only won because my wife was pregnant and that's why i got you know the votes unanimously not just because i played this this really big game so yeah. i feel very good about yeah, yeah. I feel like he's one of the uh, one of the people like if you're ranking people based on how well you could trust them if you're working with them, I feel like Jeremy is probably one of those people that you can trust. Yeah, I to me he uh, is plus 2500 so in that third tier okay. and he's one of their another guy that he's one of the best bets I think. He's mm-hmm. just a guy that gets along with everybody and I agree with you guys if he goes with a similar strategy to Cambodia where you keep physical threats in front of you and you just ride that out, I think that kind of style can work in uh Winners at War. Yeah. And then uh, my one real question is, will being so likable and having so many connections actually hurt him? It could just be something where it's like this guy, if he gets to the end, everyone's voting for him. I mean, you can't you can't discount it. I mean, he is he is a very he is a very likable guy. And at some point, like if you're at some point when you start doing the math where, okay, I got to figure out who I can beat and who's going to beat me. I think once you look at it, could Jeremy beat me? I know Jeremy could beat me. Uh, I'd vote for Jeremy over you, Lance. So, like, I I don't know. Like, I think a lot of people would. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I think uh, yeah, I think that's that's probably Jeremy's uh, biggest is going to be his biggest obstacle once he gets really in that end game and people need to make that decision because like I think you can trust him going into that end game, but once you reach there, like you gotta, I mean, you you gotta look at him because he is he is the type of person who could definitely win this game. Um, okay. Um, so I want to talk about our next winner here, um, and it kind of has a, uh, a little bit of a uh, little bit of a unique uh, unique path to victory here, at least when compared to some of these other twenty people. But it's uh, Ben Ben Drebergen from Heroes Healers Hustlers. Um, so uh, Ben, uh, if you remember, uh, his tribe kind of turned on him at the final seven, um, but uh, he just put in the work and found idol after idol after idol. Uh, I believe he played three consecutively. 
um, to save himself at tribal councils where he definitely needed to be saved. Uh, and then, uh, you know, he reaches that final four. Uh, we saw the moment the other night where, you know, the upside down letter uh, where it almost came back to haunt him. And then he gets saved at the last minute by the new fire making challenge um, and winds up winning the season. Uh, what do we think about Ben here? Ben's chances of winning as someone who won because they're such a physical threat. So Ben is probably one of the least regarded winners here, yeah. to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, he he even referenced it. There was a community uproar when you know he essentially was targeted by an entire alliance, an entire group of six people against him at the final seven, and he plays three idols in a row and then happens to get the the fire making yeah. challenge to win. Which I will say, you know, it's not his fault that sure. this happened to happen. Uh, and I think you know the interesting thing about this is I feel from that perspective, Ben is underestimated because i think up until the point that his entire alliance wanted him out he was playing a pretty damn good game sure. he was someone who came across as this loyal cowboy hat wearing good old boy and that got him in very close with some very key people to the point where in the middle of the murder there was a, a foursome that split off from the main alliance and ben was given the role of playing like double agents mm. to uh you know sort of jump back and forth between alliances so he was in the know of everything. And I think that was sort of the the height of his power in the game. And Ben still has that set of skills. I guess the big question is, because he's known for searching for idols, could he be someone that they easily target in the beginning being like, well, if he has an idol, we'll flush it. If it doesn't, we'll mm. vote him out and set him to the edge of extinction. Because I guess that's an opportunity where his uh, reputation works against him. But if he gets past being called the idol guy, he just seems like a real loyal guy to keep around, you know? Yeah, you, you hit on one of my questions is, will he be able to out Tony Tony for advantages <laughs> and idols? Yeah. And then my other one is, if he if he is able to do that, will all the other physical threats just kind of overshadow him and he can kind of play the under-the-radar game? I feel like that's perfect for him, especially if he's finding advantages. Yeah, I, I think like Ben kind of goes in there without a lot of respect. Um, and, and like the same way that like, you know, every, oh, Sophie Clark, like, oh yeah. my God, she's so amazing. Like Kim Spradlin, oh my God, He she's could so be amazing. the guy that they recruit as like the swing vote in all these things too. Right, right, right. And like, I, I feel like he is, you know, he he's one of those very underrated players. And that's, I feel like exactly where you want to be coming into a season like this, where there are a lot of very big names out there because you don't want to be, you don't want to be out in front. And I think he's going to get... You know, he's going to get uh, probably going to get very lucky here in the early going where he could be the person who goes out early because, you know, he is the type of person who's searching for idols. Like you said, flush the idol, fl flush him. Who, who, Got to get rid of someone like that. But with so many other big names on there, you know, it's he could. You know, he could do the same. He could do the Danny Boatwright thing yeah. and fly under the radar, right? And all of a sudden, you're at the final six, and there's Ben just sitting there. Yeah. And then three more idols later. His odds surprised me, too. He's in the second tier. He's plus 1,500. Okay. So he, oh, interesting. Yeah, I thought he'd be probably in the third tier. Hmm? Well, maybe that's maybe that's because of that. Maybe it is the that. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, all right. Um, so uh, our next person here uh, on the list is uh, from Survivor Korong. It's Michelle Fitzgerald. Um, and here's another one of those uh, another one of those controversial winners, at least in the sense that there are plenty of people out there who say Aubrey should have won. Um, but uh, Michelle, uh, you got to say that she played a really great social game um, where she was, you know, uh, she was fortunate enough to avoid tribal for a good chunk of the game, which is great. Like, that's a great way to make it to the end. Um, and then, you know, she 
she she did she 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 did what she had to do you know she made those personal relationships and she edged out someone who was a little bit more strategic in the end perhaps um what do we think about michelle's uh chances here at winning mike so i think you hit the nail on the head when you said she did what she had to do yeah. because there was a point around like the final six or so michelle's story is basically like you said no tribal council the first half of the game at the merge she's actually a pretty pivotal vote in a bunch of swings that were going on but then at a certain point she gets left out of the scott vote she ends up th she decides to throw her closest ally under the bus to endear herself to the majority and then basically from like the final six onwards, people are starting to turn on her. And mm. there were things like Joe Del Campo getting medevaced. She won immunity at the final four. I would say that Michelle at the end of the game didn't hold much power, mm -hmm. but she was so versatile in that, you know, if she had to gain safety, whether it was through, you know, genuflecting at somebody, whether it was promising her loyalty, whether it was winning a challenge, whether it was getting someone out of the jury, she was able to do that. And from that perspective, sort of like we were saying with Ben, I think Michelle is one of the more underestimated people mm -hmm. coming in here uh, because I don't think people necessarily remember that from yeah. her. And I think she can use that to her advantage. Yeah, she is. She is definitely one of those standouts to me as like in my you know top tier of who I think can win this game. Uh, yeah, I, I can definitely see her going, you know, because she is not going to have that huge target at the beginning that some of the other players are going to have. And she has just shown herself, like, I think the kind of game that she won is the kind of game that she needs, that someone here in the season needs to play to win. Um, and I could definitely see her doing it. And I'm very curious about the Vegas odds, because like, I feel like, does Vegas have her in kind of like that that upper tier? Where Where is she? They do not. Oh, interesting. She okay. is in the bottom tier, plus 5,000. Oh, hey. Yeah. Wow. All right. That's surprising. Yeah. She, uh, my question is, will people remember her and remember her, and will she be able to you know, play under the radar and use that same strategy again, which I, I think she like will guys, completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let me call my broker. Sell Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Well, I, I, I <laughs> think that... The only danger might be, I mean, the the, the popular adage during Korong was that had Michelle gone to Tribal Council at all in the pre-merge, she would have gone because she was a bit of a weak link in the challenges. Mm. Maybe that could happen here, but I don't know how much challenge train's going to come into play in a season like Winners at War, where everyone's just hyper-strategic. I feel like Michelle is someone who they're going to completely underestimate, and I would not be surprised a lick if we look at the finale and Michelle Fitzgerald is there once again and we say, how the heck did this happen? Yeah. Make, make your bets, people. Yeah. I think, and I think that's a really, and I, I think that's a really, that's a really good point here where like on, you know, a traditional season or maybe even like an older season where you, you play things slow, I don't know that they're going to be able to play things slow. And that's what's so things exciting are, about If this. things are playing fast, that's going to work right into, that's a, that's an advantage to her um, because, you know, that it's just going to work out well. Um, okay, so I want to. Uh, we're going to move on to our, our next winner here, and it's probably one of our more uh, more emotional winners here, um, and for very good reason. We're talking about Adam Klein from Millennials versus Gen X, um, where um, he uh, he was actually, uh, I believe, uh, looking at uh, being part of San Juan del Sur uh, with his mother, who then, of course, we know became a huge part of the story uh, in Millennials versus Gen X. Uh, where you know his his mother obviously you know in, in a big fight uh, with the cancer has ba basically he gets home with an hour um, to see and, and talk with his mother before she dies um, and you know he he you know he he plays a, a very good game here and there are some moments where you know he really shines I mean I'm thinking about you know probably where uh, David Wright uh, goes home here. 
um, where it could have been, you know, Adam instead. But uh, what do we think about Adam and his chances of winning uh, Winners at War? Yeah, so it's this interesting combination uh, that we were talking about with Jeremy and Nick, mm-hmm. where I think that Millennials versus Gen X is not necessarily known as Adam's season. It's yeah. more so known as, to your point, like David's season, Jay's sure. season, Zeke's season. Uh, and I think that was part of Adam's strategy was for him to really over not necessarily meet shields but at least like have people in the game that are targets so that he had people that others could easily go for and sort of forget about him and he you know a couple of times he tried to gun for david and it didn't work he was finally able to get the shot off right where it needed to be at the final four and there were some times that i think adam was left a little more in the dark uh than maybe some of these other players Mm. but i feel like he's yet another underestimated person he is someone who i think a lot of people probably some of these winners included are going to say he only won because of his mom he only won because of his story that's why he got unanimous votes which i don't think is the case whatsoever But Adam is very excited to be underestimated. So I think that this is a great position for him to take advantage of. All right. And what do we we have the Vegas odds at, Lance? Uh, He's plus 1,500. I I agree with you guys. He's one of those guys that, you know, you kind of underestimate him a little bit. But, like, you don't bet against him because you put him his back against the wall, he finds a way. Yeah. And so my real question for him is, He's, you know, an ultimate super fan. Will he be able to create alliances? He's one of the newer winners. Will he create alliances and relationships early in the game that can help him out? Well, I think that, you know, it depends on the egos that are out there. Like, I'm certain that there are some of these people out there that would love someone fawning over them. You know, and Adam can yeah. certainly play that role. And you're probably Nick to an extent as well. Like, oh, mm-hmm. man, I remember grow up on my, growing up watching Ethan on my TV, and I can't wait to be in an alliance yeah. with him. That fosters the sense of trust in that person, right? They're like, oh, this person's your number one fan. They're going to try to work with you. And so I think Adam can sort of play up that aspect, which he actually played down last time. You could also imagine that he is going to be probably one of the more vociferous people on the hunt for idols and advantages, yeah. considering just how much of a survivor nerd he is. Yeah. Um, okay. So our next person, and I think we can probably get through him pretty quickly because he <laughs> is probably one of the most famous people in Survivor history. We are talking about Boston Rob Mariano from Survivor Marquesas, from Survivor All-Stars, from Survivor Heroes vs. Villains, from Survivor Redemption Island, from Survivor Island of the Idols, and now from, I guess, what is it, six now? Uh, Winners at War. Uh, Rob Mariano, who, like I, like I said, I called him the Rob father. He plays a very, very strict, very controlling game, buddy system. What do we think about Rob's shot here? Does Rob have any chance of winning this thing, Mike? No, absolutely no. not. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That now is... <laughs> look, I mean, I think there's a chance that he's not the first boot. Uh, yeah. I think that Rob's strengths lie in the fact that he's going to play the same way every time. When you get to camp, he's going to lead building the camp and he's certainly an asset in certain ways that people might want to take advantage of but just the big reputation he has coupled with the fact that he has a guaranteed vote on the other tribe yep. is just too large Amber's way a big way too large and sort of like with sandra everyone's gonna say i want to be the person that you know dethroned boston rob yeah what are the vegas odds saying lance he's one of the favorites he's plus 750 oh my goodness so wow. save, save your money he's also I... the one of the favorites to be voted off first too so he's <laughs> also sense. plus 70, 750 on that that makes sense that uh, is a sucker's bet that 750 oh, absolutely Oof. that's just all you you've heard of him you know who he is yeah. kind of thing uh i got a couple questions one does he make it to the merge no no uh is he the favorite to come back from edge of extinction i would I say th- I, I would it, say it, no. it depends i mean it depends about the challenges if it's like yeah. the ones that they had in edge of extinction where it's like a little you know like balances and then do the puzzles i feel like rob might do on a puzzle but if you look at these like 
slimmer, more athletic guys like your uh, your Wendells and your Tysons, or if you're looking at like Parvati, Kim, Danny, I feel like those people probably do a better job than Rob, who look I'm sure is in good shape, but I think looks a bit past you know the the athletic Rob that we've seen. Yeah, he's not in his prime anymore. Season. He's yeah. post prime. Yeah. And then my final one is. What can he possibly do to get the target off of him? Is there anything he can do? Ooh, that's a tough one. I got nothing. He's just screwed. <laughs> I, I may be. All right. I don't Wait, know. I what do you any, think, Mike? Any promises he makes, I mean, he has built some very credible <laughs> games on making promises and breaking them, yeah. like he spoke about with Lex. So it's not like he can even say, like, hey, you know how honest and loyal I can be. He's he's one of the biggest villains the game has ever seen. There's, there's really mm. nothing working for him unless – similar to all-stars if you have amber brokering deals with him involved on the other tribe maybe that'll help if somehow they're able to get to the merge together but i guess this is another one like oh we're glad to have edge of extinction because you know we're going to get so many boston rob confessionals no matter what they love to go to him at the top of head sure do um okay so our next uh, our next person here is another person whose resume really speaks for itself uh from cook islands from micronesia from heroes versus villains we are talking about parvati parvati shallow um who another i mean basically on heroes versus villains she was one of the immediate targets a, a lot of people you know she she and you gotta imagine she's got a large target going on her pack uh what do we think mike does she have a chance of winning this game this is tough because I feel like she wants to play a brand new game. In mm. the time since she's been on, she got married and became a mother. And she even talked about how like she she feels like a different person. But she's playing a new game with these old labels on her. I mean, not just Heroes vs. Villains. She was immediately targeted in Survivor Micronesia as well. And would have gone home in that first vote were it not for Johnny Fairplay. Mm-hmm. Now look, she did not get to the end twice based on luck. She has charm out the wazoo. And even just like the the flirting aside, I feel like that should not be what Parvati is known for. Cause I think she's able to just really wrangle people and, and you know, be able to get done uh, what she wants. We talked about the double idol play, which was something that she single-handedly orchestrated. So she's mm-hmm. capable of doing a lot of stuff on her own. I think compared to Rob and Sandra, she has the best chance of these big three of, of making it pretty far because yeah, right. she's shown that. that she's been able to, to shake off the big target. Uh, on her back beforehand and she could also play up the fact that like yeah it's been 10 years i'm a mom now like i'm not that person you saw rob and sandra play more recently than i did you know how they play in this modern game i don't exactly know what to do uh and so i i think that you know she could actually surprisingly slip a bit under the radar if she tries to play up her helplessness a bit and then really pull out you know the fangs once she gets down to things what did the degenerate gambler say lance yeah i'm not betting against her because that's just a fool's errand right there <laughs> she is plus 750 so one of the favorites okay. and then my question a little, a little overestimated i think yeah. That's right. yeah she probably should be in the second tier but uh you guys touched on uh, my question you know is she still an ultimate threat or because she hasn't played in so long she's kind of not on people's radar anymore I think people are still look. I think she's just famous enough that yeah. people are going to still be on the lookout. Which is probably why she's plus 750. Yeah. She's that famous. Right. Now. And, but it could also be a thing of like, we've heard so much about poverty, but then once they actually get to meet her, it's sort of like what we talked about with Kim, right? Where yeah. like once they start talking with her and they're like, oh, yeah, I like you. Like, oh, okay. Maybe, maybe you're not like this big, bad poverty black widow that we've, we've gotten to know or that we've heard about over the years. Yeah. Yeah, and she said she wants to go from Black Widow to Lovable Mother. I'm really interested to see if she can make that transformation. We'll see. We'll see. 
Um, so our our, uh, our our second to last person on the tribe here, Pentultimate, that's right. Uh, we're using the word and we're using it correctly this time, uh, is Denise Stapley from Survivor Philippines, uh, another fantastic winner. We saw a lot of her uh, last night and her, you know, she had a very famous relationship with Malcolm there um, where um, the two of them worked together through just a disastrous Matt Singh tribe where, you know, they lost four in a row and they were in a bad position and uh, you know Denise where you know just kind of turned things around so fantastic and with with Malcolm as well and made it to the made it to the end and uh, she she won and I am very curious what do we think about her chances of winning uh, Survivor 40 so much of Survivor nowadays is tribal council mm-hmm. whether it's playing idols or live tribal councils And Denise has the most experience of them all because she is the only person in Survivor history to go to every single tribal council in her season. And that is something she became a master of. And it's it's a key component. I can imagine that even though it's been a while, she's only played once before, it might be a bit like riding a bike. You know, she's a therapist as a career path. So I think she's very natural when it comes to like being a conversationalist and also for observing people. She did say that she's a crappy liar. And yeah, I do remember, you know, in in Philippines that when it came to like Abby Maria, for instance, uh, she did not necessarily mince words when it came to people that she was not a big fan of. So maybe that might not endear herself, especially if there's like a big deceptional ruse going on. That's not something that Denise necessarily does. But again, if you're looking for someone who is going to be like a reliable person uh, who, you know, will not only perform in the challenges, but also somebody who knows what they're doing in the game. I think Denise is one of those. Mm. Yeah, Vegas has uh, her in the bottom tier plus 5,000. Oh, really? Yeah, which I thought was interesting. And I then, like her a lot better than that, I think. Yes, yeah, which makes her a good value. Yeah. And then uh, my question, is it going to be weird for her to not go to tribal? <laughs> she's going to be so happy when she finally wins immunity. <laughs> she's going to like not know. She's going to be like spinning like a top. Like, where do I go? It'll be I pretty do, sweet. You know? It'll be pretty sweet. Her first night off. Yeah. Her first night off in Survivor history. That's good. Unless she's the first boot and then it's like, all right. Well, I, I feel like she's probably not going to be the first boot. But uh, yeah, yeah. definitely not. The, I would not see a world where they're like, unless Denise really goes in there like a whirling dervish, like Zane Knight from her season and decides to like <laughs> ultra strategize. It's also interesting. Denise is the oldest person on the season. Mm-hmm. And she, she, I love her. I love her photos, by the way. Like, I mean, the, all the photos are fantastic. Yeah. Like going through like that She's black and white collection. Though, you know? She black is, and white is such a awesome. badass. Oh my goodness. Uh, I am a, I'm a big Denise fan and I cannot wait to see her play again. It's been, a, it's been a while and I'm very excited. Uh, okay. So our final person here, um, final person here is, uh, Ethan, Ethan from, uh, Survivor Africa wow. and Survivor All-Stars. Another one of those been forever since they played person, um, uh, you know, Ethan, um, I mean, it's a, Ethan's about as old school as you can get here. Um, you know, playing in Africa where like it, what, what, like it was the biggest thing was that they had a tribe swap for the first time. Right. Like that was like the, the crazy twist, which is like not even a twist these days. It's just something you expect. Um, but you know, uh, he is, he is probably one of the most likable people here. Like, like you just, how can you not like this guy? He's got the story too. Um, you know? And he's got such a great story and like. But do is that a problem? Is he too likable? Does he have too good of a story? What do what do we think, Mike? What are, what's the uh, what are your thoughts on Ethan? Well, first off, I am elated to see Ethan on Survivor in 2020, Same. just because for a while we did not think we'd see Ethan on this planet mm-hmm. in 2020. It, yeah, it's crazy preach. that you know, two-time cancer survivor, seven years in remission, 
and now he's back playing the game. There's been a lot of questions to your point as to, you know, can a guy who won season three be able to play in season 40? He claims that, you know, his wife has been trying to hide idols in the forest. He's been keeping <laughs> up with the show. Like, I think he's been trying to train as best as he can. I think that he's set up to do well, but I do not think they're letting him near that end game whatsoever. Yeah. Nobody in their right mind is letting a two-time cancer survivor get to the end of this game because I, I th that's that's just inc an incredible story. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with that. Like, I, I, you know, he's not someone who necessarily stands out as someone you need to get rid of right away. But you know, once you get towards that end, like, yeah, I mean, it's, you, it's it's actually very it's very comparable yeah. to like Elaine from last season, where it's sure. like here's someone with a great story, and it's going to get to a point where everyone just sort of looks at each other, shrugs their shoulders, and says, "We can't let this guy get a step further." Yep. Yeah, where she she and they get along for so long, just being that person where I can't imagine like why would I want to play survivor with this person I just want them around like have this person around at camp and then after a while it's like okay well I can't keep them around any longer so we got to do something about it yeah, and Vegas yeah. agrees plus 2500 okay. which makes sense that and, sounds about right and my question really is you know will modern survivor just be like a shock to his system will he be able to hold up will he be able to adapt and then you know health wise will he be able to keep up and everything too I, you know i feel like they're gonna figure it out like yeah. I, I don't i'm i'm sure he hasn't been, like just not paid any attention to survivor yeah. in the last 20 years yeah, yeah. so i can be like and, oh and i have no and idea. he is like a he is a former pro athlete and i personally believe i know like brad culpepper uh like like to say like oh yeah like i'm mm -hmm. i'm a former athlete like you know i played that a while ago but i do feel like if you're a former athlete you like still have that pumping through your blood mm. no matter what so i feel like he'll be he'll do well in the challenges too with regards to if he'll keep up with modern survivor I'm not so sure what the advantage is, but I feel like when it comes to making interpersonal connections, I think Ethan's really going to excel there. He wants to be that calming person who doesn't say too much. He essentially wants to be sort of like the Keith Nail here, like mm -hmm. the really underestimated guy who nobody feels like knows what's going on and so they can easily take him along for a vote. And then from there, he'll be able to, you know, all those threats will get taken out and then the nice guy will be sitting in the end once again. So I think Ethan has probably a bigger mind for the game than we might expect just because even though he did play in season three i think he had a very good game mind for what was going on so i think he has the skills i don't exactly know if he'll be able to work with the advantages that are coming his way just due to experience but mm. i think he's someone set up to do reasonably well here all right um, so I know you, I, I, I want to, first of all, thank you so much for talking about these, these folks with me. And I know you've got somewhere to be very soon, but I've got one or two last questions for you, uh, before right. we let you go. And they're, 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 they're the biggest ones probably. Uh, so question number one of all these 20 people we just talked about, who do you think is the most likely to win? And the second question, who do you think is most likely to go home first? All right. I'll give a man and a woman okay. for for each I'm into so it. most like most likely to win give me tyson and danny okay uh, great choice but right. i would i would say silver medal might go to like i would give like jeremy and kim or uh jeremy and michelle okay first boot uh, give me i'm gonna go with rob and sarah okay all right. I think that, that uh, Sandra's definitely up there, but I feel like, I don't know, there's just everyone seems to really have Sarah at the top of their brain. And so I, I can't imagine a situation where she's not at least getting votes at her first tribal council. Yeah, I, I think I I think I agree with you. I, I, assuming the Red Tribe goes to tribal council first, I, I think Sarah is probably in a lot of trouble here um, for, for the most part. I think Tyson could also be in trouble there um, on the blue tribe i don't i don't know it's that one's a little bit more i feel like a lot of the biggest threats are on the uh, the red tribe but um you know probably either rob or parvati I, I would say on the on the blue tribe 
Um, and as far as my winner picks, um, if we got to go, uh, if I want to do the same thing, um, I'm going to give me um, for on the, the women's side, uh, give me Sophie Clark. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and say it's Sophie Clark's gonna be my winner. Maybe Michelle. Michelle's kind of gonna be my uh, my 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 secondary pick there if I lose Sophie early on. And uh, for uh, guys, oh boy, um, how how about Yule? I'm gonna try. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Yule. Okay. Why why yeah. not? Because like I, I I like the guy. Love I it. think he could. I think he could do well. Love it. Um, but uh, otherwise, let's see who else. Uh, who else? Who's gonna be my other guy here? Um. Hmm. You know what? Why don't uh, give me someone? Give me, give me an Adam. Give me an Adam there. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take right. him. I'm gonna because uh, I, I feel like I feel like it's gonna be. I, I like I I like to, but, but I feel like you know there's that's who I'm going with. I'm going I, two two completely different picks, but those are my picks. Winner pick for me. Yeah. I'm gonna go uh, male wise. I'm going Tyson. Okay. You know, and yeah. then uh, female wise, I'm gonna give me Natalie. Okay. Ooh, okay, I, that's, that's a great one. choice. Yeah. And then first out, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go safe in Amber and Rob. Okay. I mm-hmm. I mean that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Amber double down Rob. on the Marianos. Yeah. Yep. All right. I mean, I, th- listen. We'll we'll know very soon uh, whether or not the one of those predictions is right. Chances are we're all gonna be wrong. But I look forward to that because it's it's more fun when we're wrong. If I win, though, <laughs> you owe me like a hundred bucks. Yeah. I, I'm gonna. I own you a hundred units of Lance loot. Which I believe is equal to a thousand Stanley nickels. Um, <laughs> I think it's a. I think it's a, a like a little bit better than Bitcoin. <laughs> it's a little bit. Just it's a, a smidge. Bit. Yeah. yeah. Bitcoin's in like ten grand. All right. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> more more on that later. Uh, but for now, save it for um, the currency pod. But for now, yeah. Uh, Mike, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it has been a pleasure, and uh, we have got to have you back because it's it's just a lot of fun having yeah, you this on. This is great. No, um, of course. Thank you for yeah. having me. I, I love I love talking with you guys, and I mean this season a is a survivor fan dreams come true i still can't believe that it's happening and no matter what whether it's edge of extinction or fire tokens or whatever weirdness is happening it's gonna be i mean just seeing that cast line up last night yeah that's the biggest smile to my face it, it's gonna be an absolutely incredible season no matter what yeah and i want you to uh, i want you to let everybody know how they can uh, follow you and find your stuff and and before you do i just want to give you a quick shout out to something that you've done that i think is absolutely fantastic but uh winners at peace um, the the pod, a podcast that you did recently, I think like last week uh, with uh, with Rob Cesarnino from RHAP, basically running an entire hypothetical season about every single winner who does not appear on this season and figure out who would win. And it's absolutely, it's just such a fantastic. It's a great listen. idea. It's a fantastic listen. And uh, if you haven't heard it yet, and you want to do, you want a little something to 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 whet your appetite for season forty. That's it. Like it's it's it's. Thank fantastic. you. Yeah, it was it's it's a lot of zaniness. Rob Cesarnino and I have so much fun together. It's, I mean, it's essentially like an it's improvised survivor yeah. where, you know, this software pumps out the simulation and we're just trying to figure out the madness. And there was some absolutely crazy stuff that happened in this one, stuff that would make like a brain steel survivor at 40 type of special. So, yeah, be sure to check that out on YouTube. It's, yeah. uh, it was a really special time and i think it makes you sufficiently pumped to watch some more winners duke it out on screen. It got me excited. Uh, all right. So where so where else can we, where can we follow you again? So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at a Mike Bloom type. If you want to follow my survivor specific stuff, you can go to parade.com slash tag slash survivor. I'm doing a daily or week daily winner profiles going over the strengths 
and weaknesses of the winning games of every contestant. I'm rounding the bend now, so you have a bunch of them to catch up on. And when the season starts, I'm going to be do doing something pretty cool. Uh, we won't have Exit Press, which is what I usually do because mm -hmm. of the Edge of Extinction. Uh, in its place, what I'm going to do is when a winner is voted out of the game, I'm going to talk with somebody, a Survivor alum, who played in their winning season with them. Oh, nice. And get, and get their thoughts about it. So it's oh, not like exactly that. an exit interview, but it's almost like the exit interview through the eyes of someone who saw their first 39-day journey. That's and get cool. their thoughts as to, you know what went wrong or where they can go from here, uh, given the edge of extinction. So it's a little bit of an experiment, but I'm happy to try some new stuff, much like the show is. Oh, well, that's fantastic. So uh, yes, everybody keep an eye out for that. That's 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 good. That's going to be good stuff. And and uh, for sure, the your your, your coverage on, on Parade has been fantastic uh, about the, these profiles. Um, so uh, just to uh, just to toot our own horn a little bit, um, if you're interested and want to hear more uh, Survivor Brothers, uh, we've got uh, we just ha did an interview with uh, Jamal from season 39. That's a fantastic. Oh, I love listen. me some Jamal. Oh, we love us some Jamal too. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to be doing uh, a couple episodes. We're going to be talking with uh, Speak of the Devil, Rob Cesarino. We're going to be talking with next week. He has a podcast. Um, and we're going to be talking with a bunch of other survivors for the uh, for the premiere. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. And of course, we're going to be here all season long. So if you haven't done so, please, we'd love if you'd follow us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere you'll find good podcasts, you'll find ours. Uh, and uh, if you want to follow uh, us on on the social medias, uh, my name is uh, Fox Van Allen. You can follow me on Twitter and wherever. And where can we follow you, Lance? At Casually Ginger. All right, so go ahead and do that. And uh, if you really like us, uh, leave a review somewhere. Five uh, stars. Yep, that's what Lance likes. Lance likes stars. So give him five stars or he'll, he'll hunt you down. Um, all right, so that about rests us up for today. Uh, we will be back here next week uh, with some more uh, Survivor 40 coverage. But until then, uh, see you later, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.